Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. Okay, Ross, today we are in week four of our Bible Basics series. So here's what we've been so far. We've talked about where did we get the Bible. We talked about what is the structure of the Bible. Last week, we talked about how to read and study the Bible. And in in the next two lessons, we're going to talk about, well, okay, let's see, Ross, in seminary, this would be called Old Testament Survey, and next week would be called New Testament Survey. But in, in layman's terms, we're talking about what is the story of the Old Testament today, and then next week, we'll talk about what is the story of the New Testament. Like, why does this matter, Ross? Why are we including this in our Bible Basics series for people who are trying to learn how to read and study the Bible? Well, there's so much in the Bible, so much in the Old Testament, and it's easy to uh, get lost in the details. And so what we want to try to help our, our listeners to understand is that if, we, if they can see the big picture, if they can see kind of where it's all going, and then today we're going to try to help them do that, and we're going to try to help them understand how each of the individual books of the Bible fits into that larger plan. So it really it really helps to keep, uh, for people to not get lost in the weeds a little bit, to be able to kind of see, oh, this is what's going on in the bigger picture. Yeah, so this episode, think of this episode like kind of like the Cliff's Notes on the Bible. Ross, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes when I'm reading a book that's hard for me to understand, especially like if I'm reading Moby Dick, okay, I just started reading that the other day. And I thought, okay, wait a second. I'm re- I'm listening to these characters. I'm and I'm just a little. I'm lost already. So here's what I did: is I went back and I just Googled what's the story of Moby Dick, and I read like a like an overview of Moby Dick. So I got introduced to the characters and kind of where the arc of the story is going. I can't tell you. Maybe that's cheating, Ross. I don't know, but I can't tell you how much easier that made reading the book. I wasn't like trying to catch up. Where are we? Where, where are we right now? Why are we Why are we learning about this guy right now? It was so helpful for me. And that's really what this is, is this 45-minute episode is going to help people when they're reading their Bibles. It's going to help you to be like, okay, where are we right now? What is this really about? Where, where, what's the arc of the story? And that's what we're going to be doing today. So let's start with verse one of chapter one of the Bible. Here's how the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Man, there's so much there, but give us like the two-minute explanation of what's going on in the first couple chapters of the Bible. Well, it's important to understand that it all starts, the whole story all starts with God making everything. God is eternal. Now, he was never created. He's always has been. He always been God. But at some point, he decided to create everything that exists. And so that's what Genesis 1 is saying. This is how it all starts. This is how it all begins. Uh, there was nothing, and then there was something. God put it there. It wasn't an accident. He has a purpose. And so that's really where the Old Testament begins, with an understanding that everything has its origin in God. Now, not to get into the weeds here, but it doesn't say where God comes from, does it? No, because it's, all, it's always assumed throughout the whole Bible that God has always existed, and that he yeah. existed prior to anything else that isn't God. Okay, so creation, chapter one, Genesis chapter one, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates, and it take, he takes six days to create everything. On the sixth day, he creates 
He creates human beings. That's kind of the pinnacle of his creation, man and woman, Adam and Eve. And then he says, it's interesting that he's all along in chapter one, he's saying it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then when he creates people, he says, it's very good. He's done. He rests on the seventh day. Everything, everything seems great. But then we realize that, that something happens pretty early on in Genesis. Something happens to like ruin this beautiful picture of paradise. And what is that? Yeah. So human beings of, uh, chose to go away from God, to walk away from God. We call it, the Bible calls it sin. There's a lot of language that describes sin or rebellion or uh, the way that we've responded to God. We've gone our own way. And so the point is that when God made everything, human beings were part of it, the pinnacle of it, as he said. But so he made us for himself. He wanted connection with us. He wanted us to connect to each other. And so um, that they humanity is the heart story. Here's God and then human beings. Those are the two big players in the whole Bible. Um, what's God's relationship with humanity and where has humanity gone wrong? And so it starts with this, this close relationship, the human beings in the garden with God. But sadly, uh, sin ruined all that. We're made in God's image. We're given the stewardship of, cre- of taking care of God's creation. But, but we, it wasn't long before Adam and Eve and the whole human race after them just went their own way and didn't listen to God. And, and that created what we call the fall. And um, human being, a human race has fallen in its relationship with God. And so we're wrecked, you know. Our relationship with God is wrecked. Our relationship with each other is wrecked because of sin. And so that's why this is all in the first three chapters of the Bible, because it's so fundamental to understanding ourselves and our relationship with God and everything about, you know, the the world that God created. Okay, so Genesis 1 and 2 is creation and Adam and Eve and everything's great. So the first two chapters, everything's great. And then Genesis 3 Adam and Eve. That that you, if you want to read about that, that's this. That's where sin first enters the world, and uh, and then they get cast out of the Garden of Eden. Genesis four. We meet their two, their first two kids, Cain and Abel, and of course you can read about that in Genesis four. Once we get to Genesis six, like it went from bad to worse, and now God is like, man, I don't know about this. And he and the flood comes, and that's where the story of Noah comes. The next few chapters. So we're reading all the way up to Genesis, let's say Genesis 11. So up until now, we've been, we've been reading about Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. We've got, we've got Noah in there. We've got the story of the Tower of Babel in there. So some stories that some of our listeners might be familiar with. And then something really, really important happens in Genesis 12. But Ross, before we get to Genesis 12, and this is where, where Israel first shows up this idea of a nation, a people, a nation, we'll get there. Let's just real quick mention that there's a book of the Bible that technically falls into Genesis 1 through 11, and it's the book of Job. So talk about that for just a real quick second, because the book of Job doesn't ever mention Israel or Abraham. So explain this to us. Right. So as as you're reading through the Bible and you come to Job, this is the context of Job. It, 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 its language is ancient, it, its setting is ancient, so it reflects a period of time. It appears to be, you know, in those first chapters of Genesis. And, and so it's really more not, more, not so much about uh, Israel at all, but it's more about God and his relationship with humanity. It's really about God. It shows God as the creator. It shows God's power in creation. It shows that, it shows that God is really in charge of everything. 
And so that's why, you know, Job probably has been preserved by the Holy Spirit, because it reflects those original conditions of humanity after the fall. Yeah, and it's, again, if for people who have been doing this whole series, again, you, you find Job in the poetic books. It's technically fits in the genre of poetry, and that's why we find it later on in the Old Testament. But chronologically, Job would be would be really in those first 11 chapters. That's the time frame for the book of Job. Okay, so let's get to Genesis 12, because something really important happens in Genesis 12. We get introduced to a character. So, so far we've met Adam and Eve, we've met Abraham, or sorry, we've met Noah, and now we get introduced in Genesis 12 to this character named Abram, and explain Explain this character and why he's so important to the rest of the Old Testament. So in the flow of the story, we've seen humanity has gone away from God, and we begin to see the consequences of that and how bad things have been for the human race. So here's really, there's been hints before Genesis 12, but here's really where we begin to see God's rescue plan begins to emerge, where God says, I'm going to deal with this. You know, uh, he says, I would, you know, kind of like, oh, I'm sad I made humanity, but um, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to bring forth a plan, a purpose that's going to bring it back to the way it was meant to be. And Abram, or Abraham, as he became known, is really the key to that. God calls this guy and to relationship with him, and he makes certain promises to him. And as those promises are fulfilled, in the not even in in his lifetime, but in the many generations to come after him, then this plan begins to take shape and begins to move forward. That leads to God's a rescue for for fallen humanity. Okay, and let, let me read that. This is so important to the story that I want to read Genesis twelve verses one and two. It says, "This is God speaking to Abram: Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation." and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Okay, so uh, there's three things we see, right? Three promises that we're going to see. Essentially, Ross, the the story of the Old and New Testament is the story of these three promises being fulfilled. Okay, the promises that God makes to this random guy. And and Abram wasn't a, I mean, we would say Christian. That's an anachronism. Obviously, he wasn't a Christian. Jesus, that word wasn't even around. But Abram wasn't a follower of God at this point. Abram was just someone that God came to and gave this promise to. And he said, here's the promise. He says, number one, I'm going to give you land. So what's the land that he's promising as we read the story later on? Yeah, the land that he promises is the land that we would call Israel today or Palestine. So it's that strip of land along the eastern end of the Mediterranean where um, ultimately we see the the Jewish people or the Israelites were settled there in fulfillment of God's promise, and they've lived there pretty much ever since. Okay, so that's the first part of the promise is land. The second thing is, I'll make you a great nation. So that's Israel, right? He's talking about you're going to be a people. I mean, Abram at this point didn't have any kids. That's what's amazing about this promise is Abram didn't even have any kids yet, and yet he's going to have this great nation come from his descendants. And so that's the second part of the promise. And then the third part of the promise, this is really important, especially not just for today, but next week when we talk about a survey of the New Testament, because it all fits together. The the Old and New Testament fit together. You can't do one without the other. He says, all families on earth will be blessed through you. Just real quick, not to get into the weeds here theologically, but this is important. What is God promising to Abram in that third promise? 
So, you know, again, um, I don't want to be anachronistic, but from Abraham's, Abraham's perspective, he didn't really know what all that meant. But God's telling him this promise is that you're going to have an impact on the whole world, the whole human race, and every family, and, and that they're going to be blessed through you. We know later that what the nature of that blessing is will, will emerge over time. And ultimately, uh, and, and we'll see that even as we go forward today in this survey, um, ultimately, that's the key to God's rescue, the salvation plan that God has for fallen, broken humanity is through um, Abraham, and it ultimately involves blessing in that ultimate sense. Yeah, and we'll connect all those dots next week, but just keep this in mind. Genesis 12 is so important to understanding the Bible. Remember, there's these three promises that we're tracing now. So the land, the promised land, the people, Israel, and the promise a blessing. Okay. So land, people, blessing, or you could say it like this land, nation, blessing. And again, Ross, I want to spoiler alert. So part of that has to do with the people of Israel and the land, the promised land in Israel. But part of that has to do with the ultimate, the ultimate fulfillment, the eternal fulfillment of all of this stuff. And we're going to be talking about all of this. We're going to connect all the dots next week, but but make a mark on in your episode right now, everybody, because this is really important. Genesis twelve. Okay, so let's Ross. Let's go. So so Genesis then finishes um, the story of Abraham, the the uh, Isaac, his son Isaac, his son, his grandson Jacob, and then Jacob has Jacob's gets a new name Israel, and Jacob has twelve sons, and they would represent for the most part the twelve tribes of Israel. And so that's kind of how Genesis ends. And then we have this, the, this problem that happens that the, this, this burgeoning nation now eventually gets, um, gets in trouble and they, they become enslaved in Egypt. And so for 400 years, they're enslaved in Egypt. And that brings us to the book of Exodus, because Exodus is the story of the people of Israel exiting Egypt so let's just pause right there for a second, because this is where another character is going to appear, Moses, the character of Moses. But like, has ha, have any of the promises been accomplished yet up to this point by the time we open Exodus? Well, the, the only one that has is that Abraham has lots of descendants, which is kind of wrapped up in, in the promise of nation. But the, the land, the nation isn't really, it's starting to form. It's starting to form being that because he has many, many, many descendants that have become populous. That's really the only thing that we see so far uh, up to this point. But they don't really have a national identity yet. They don't have their own land. They don't have their own government or anything like that. So here we are now. We have, you know, God calls this guy Moses. And uh, we're not going to get into the story of Moses, but Moses is the next big character here. He calls Moses to go to Egypt and lead his people out of Egypt. That's where the whole parting of the Red Sea happens, They're the wandering in the desert for 40 years um, for various reasons, not just because Moses was too proud to ask directions, but they get to the edge of the, pro- 40 years later, they get to the edge of the promised land. Then we get into, okay, so again, we've got some, we've got numbers and we've got Leviticus and we've got Deuteronomy. That's all, you know, a lot of the, that stuff is what's happening. That's where the 10 commandments come in. God gives the 10 commandments to the people of Israel. I like to think of the Ten Commandments as the as the 
as the constitution more or less that they would be following when they do eventually have their own land and set up their own nation. But none of that happens during Moses's lifetime. Moses leads the people to the edge of the promised land, but Joshua would be the next big character. And there's a book of Joshua where that's now where Joshua is going to lead the people across the Jordan River. They're going to take down the city of Jericho and they're going to eventually start settling the the promised land. So pick us up right there and fill us in on that part. Yeah. Of the so story. Uh, while they, while they were in the wilderness, I think a key thing that uh, would help us understand the story is that Moses, uh, God used Moses to bring the people into a, this covenant relationship. And you mentioned the law or the constitution, but it re- what it represents is that now they are actually seen by God as a people and a people who belong to Him. So this is so we see this idea of nationness, this peopleness is kind of gelling at this point, and it, it crosses a kind of a, a big divide there uh, when they at Mount Sinai when God makes covenant with them, and so He's bringing them into the Promised Land, and um, Joshua leads them in, but and now they have the land. So so here's two things that are happening now. It took a while to to get the land, and they didn't did get it own because there are people living there. They had to conquer them, and that wasn't complete. Uh, there were still some other nations that were left around, and that that created problems in the future. But so we have this idea that now they are they are seeing nationhood, and what we mean by nationhood, we don't necessarily mean it in terms of a, a modern nation state. We mean it more in terms of like a a body of people who have a common identity, and they did live as a nation state later. But that's but the idea of their. Um, of being a nation like like France or England or America, it, that that's it's it's different than that, and it's more than that. There's a connection, but um, we see that taking shape, and we see the land. Now they've the land has been promised to them, and it's been fulfilled under under Joshua. But the problem is, is that you know the the people of Israel continued to be human. I mean, there's this ongoing problem where they were not faithful to God. They were idolatrous they adopted the gods of the nations around them they they violated the constitution the covenant that god gave them god mm. said look when you go in this land um, this is deuteronomy deuteronomy says you go in this land if you obey me here's the way all the ways i'm gonna bless you and if you don't if you're not faithful to me then look out because here's some things that i'm gonna have to do to get your attention and bring you back and so but they didn't consistently follow and so um they began this long pattern of generation after generation of, of sinful choices that put God in the back burner. Yeah, and let me clarify, the, the pattern of sinful choices of humanity was established right away in Genesis 3, right? As soon as sin entered the world, everyone is born into sin. So Adam and Eve's first kids, Cain and Abel, we see that. We see it with in Noah's generation. And so it's no different now with, with, with Abraham's descendants, the people of Israel who are supposed to be God's special chosen people. Like It's no different. It turns out that, that they also just can't help themselves. They can't help themselves, and they're going to be disobedient to God. And, and, so, and now we just see it just time and time and time again throughout the Old Testament. I mean, it's really almost comical to see the choices that they make, and before we point fingers at them, by the way, we're no different, right? We're the same. We're, we, we're also children of Adam and Eve. We also have this fundamental desire to go against God's ways and God's commandments 
in God's laws, but we see it playing out really in in real time there in in jo- Joshua and then in Judges. Okay, the next book of the Bible is Judges, and this is where this is the Judges period. So th- you know, maybe Ross explain to us what a judge was, and because kings weren't so so the nation now has the promised land. They're living in the promised land, but there's not a kingdom yet. There's no king yet. God is their king. God is in charge. Um, but but he raises up judges throughout the book of Judges. But there's a pattern that we see repeat over and over in the in the book of Judges. Right. So what you have is the 12 tribes of Israel from the 12 sons of Jacob or Israel. And so they they had each one, each tribe had its own land, territory. And so there was this sort of generally loose confederation between all the 12 tribes. So again, there was no nation. But what happened was that there'd be some a country, a, a nation that would attack or or try to invade, and God would raise up a judge. They called judges, someone to rescue the people, to to galvanize uh, support, and to go and you know uh, and repel the invading army. And the judges also had a role, to uh, sort of a minor governance role, to be like to arbitrate situations and cases. But it was definitely not a full flown bureaucracy of a, of a nation state at that time. So during the period of the judges, it says, the Bible says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Mm. And so that's, so God was king, but he wasn't really king. I mean, in the sense of how people really regarded him, but they did not have a human king. And that's where, you know, judges begins to transition toward that. We think of it, of, of the nation of Israel, we think of it in terms of monarchy now, because that became so important later on, but it's transitioning toward that through the book of 1 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel, that's when they really, the monarchy emerges out of that loose confederation. Okay, so let's let's pause for a second and talk about some of the famous judges. So for people, if, if you've heard of some of these names, so Deborah was a judge, if you've heard of Deborah. Gideon was a judge. Probably the most famous judge is Samson. Samson was a judge. So again, when we say judges, it's not like a guy in a robe with a gavel. <laughs> yeah right? It was kind of like a, I don't know, how would you describe a judge, Ross? Like a, like a, like an impromptu leader. I mean, cause even yeah. Samson, I mean, he wasn't wise necessarily, um, but God still used him for a purpose in the nation. And he's one of the stories that you'll find in the book of Judges. Yeah, they, were, they arose up uh, in response to a particular peril or situation and they weren't elected or anything like that. They just were people that Others recognize their leadership qualities and maybe their courage and maybe their strength. And so they were thrust into that position. Yeah. And so the last judge, the final judge was Samuel. And so again, first and second Samuel, we'll talk about that in a second. But before we do that, Ross, there's a book in between Judges and first Samuel, and the book is called Ruth. And it, again, it's in here that let's just talk, take a second, because Ruth is a little bit of a unique book of the Bible. Why is that in there in between Judges and first Samuel? Yeah, that's it's really good because uh, that's a great point because it really sets up the it's a sort of the precursors to the rise of the kingdom because it tells us the story of the first the second king was King David first King King Saul second King King David King David became the paradigm of what a king should be in many ways and the book of Ruth from the period of the judges shows uh, it shows David's great grandparents. 
and how they came together, how they got married. It shows a lot about the faithfulness of God. It shows a lot about how the um, Constitution or the law of Moses was supposed to work and how some, when it worked, it was it worked right, you know, and it benefited. So it's leading up to the, the time of the kings and shows us the story of that, that led to uh, the arrival of King David. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about Samuel. So Samuel's like this last judge. The people are finally, like during Samuel's life, the people are finally like, we want a king, we want a king. So long story short, Samuel, Sam is like, all right, you'll get a king. We'll give you a king. And the first king of the kingdom of Israel was King Saul. And King Saul was, was a good king in some respects, respects and, but really ultimately he lost the kingdom because because he was a sinner, like everybody's a sinner, right? So he ends up, Saul ends up losing the kingdom. Um, David, and this is this, you know, people may, might know the story of of Samuel anointing David, that Dave, this little shepherd boy that's going to be a king. So Samuel anoints David to be the, a future king, but in the meantime, Saul was the king, and so that's kind of a big story you'll read in First and Second Samuel. Eventually, David becomes the king of the kingdom. And David, of course, is is the guy that wrote a lot of the Psalms. So a lot of those, a lot of the poetic books are are happening during David's reign and Solomon's reign. David's son, who David had many sons, but Solomon was the one to to take over the kingdom. So again, you're going to read some of this in First and Second Samuel. First and Second Kings then is going to pick up on the reign of David's son, King Solomon. So and then the rest of Second Kings is really about all of the kings in the succession of the kingdom. So, so again, the kingdom starts with Saul. It really reaches its height in David's time and in Solomon's time. And then after Solomon's time, that's where things in the kingdom go really bad. So, so fill us in real quick, the Cliff's Notes version, Ross, of what happened to the kingdom of Israel after Solomon's day. Yes, Solomon... Um... Well, again, he was very wise, but he wasn't always smart, uh, street-wise, you'd say. So Solomon, um, after Solomon, the the tribes were split. And 10 of them said, no, we don't want Solomon's son to rule over us. We don't want anything to do with this dynasty. And so the, the, those are the ones that lived in the north part of the land. And so they split off. They formed their own kingdom. So there's uh, now there's two kingdoms. After Solomon, for the rest of there's a northern kingdom, southern kingdom, ten tribes, two tribes. And so the northern kingdom is called the kingdom of Israel. And that gets a little confusing because Israel has meant all the people who descended from, you know, Jacob, Isaac and Jacob. But now it means, sometimes it means just this northern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was called Judah because that was the leading tribe of them. And that's where we get, that's where we get the, the word, uh, the name of the Jews. Uh, from the land of Judah. So these two kingdoms are now going parallel with each other. But all Second Kings, uh, First Second Kings, it shows all the kings of these two different kingdoms. Most of them were poor. Most of them were, were examples of sin. Once in a while, one of them would rise to the occasion and tell the people turn back to God again and um, experience the way that it was supposed to be. Yeah, I think there were, if if my count is correct, of the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, I think four of those kings were were good kings, not perfect, but good kings. Most of them 
all the rest of them had nothing redeeming about them. And then the Northern Kingdom, Israel, if I remember Ross, none of those kings were considered good kings. And so again, people, you can read that in first and second Kings. And all of this then leads to, you know, again, as we're looking at our Bibles, we're going to come back to first and second Chronicles in a second here at the end, Ross, let's save that for the end. Um, but then you start getting into some of the, some of the books like Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, when we're talking about the rest of the history books, and those history books, explain how those fit into the story and then how those relate to the prophetic genre of books at the end of the Old Testament. Right. So we've been talking about how Israel continued this long cycle of sin, and they pull out, come back faithful to God, but generally speaking, they weren't. They were not faithful to the covenant. And so that, and, but that's a, a long period. That's all the way from, you know, uh, the establishment of the, in the land all the way for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so during that time, many, many kings. Well, during that time, then what happened was God said, okay, enough is enough. And he, he said, okay, all the promises I made and all the threats I made to you at the very beginning, I'm going to have a call, call it in, you know? And so God allowed both the nation, first the northern kingdom and then later the southern kingdom, to be invaded and conquered by external empires. The north was Assyria, the south was by Babylon, and the people were removed from the land, sort of God's repudiation of their disobedience, and then they went into exile. And then we see that the people of the southern kingdom were actually brought back to the land. At some point, and that—that's Ezra, Nehemiah. Uh, they record the process of how that happened, and how the cities uh, were rebuilt, and and how the nation was reestablished again. It wasn't a kingdom at that point in time because they were under the authority of the Babylonian and the Persian empires, but they had their autonomy somewhat, and they had their land back. And so uh, Ezra and Nehemiah talk about that process, and then throughout that whole period. Um, from the beginning to the end, then God ra- raised up prophets who spoke to his people. And many of the Old Testament books are books of these prophets. Okay, so I'm looking at, I'm looking at my table of contents where we see the first, the first big prophet is Isaiah. Jeremiah is the next one. Lamentations, by the way, is also written by Jeremiah. It's a, so- it's a song of a lament, right? About, about the exile, right, Ross? Yeah, he's... Yeah, because Jeremiah was there when the Babylonians captured and, and removed the people. So Lamentations is like, whoa, it's like, oh my gosh, can't, can't believe this happened. Yeah, and you'll, and you'll get clues to like who this prophet is writing to. Is he writing to the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom? Is he writing to Judah, the southern kingdom? Or some of these prophets are, are, are prophets who are dealing with other nations surrounding Israel, like Obadiah, Jonah. Nahum. So again, you can pick up on some of these clues, but it's helpful for our listeners to understand, okay, that's okay, that's what the prophetic books are from again, starting with Isaiah all the way down through the end of the Old Testament. These are these are prophets that God sent generally to Israel or to Judah during the time or around the time uh, of the exile after the nations um sort of fell from their place of prominence. Okay, so let's put Ross, just for just so people can kind of maybe think about this historically, let's put some dates on this. So 
let's go back to some of these characters. So a character like a character like Moses would have would have lived around the time of what two thousand? Help me here with two thousand yeah. BC. Uh, now so let's say Abraham would be maybe around around two thousand, and Moses yep. would be around fourteen fifteen hundred BC. And David, we'd be about around a thousand BC. Yeah, so it's for me that's helpful to know. These are just rough dates, but we're talking two two thousand BC for Abraham, one thousand BC for David. And then the fall of the northern kingdom happened first, and that was 722 BC, and that was Assyria who who destroyed Israel, right? And then yep. the fall of the southern kingdom, Judah, was another about 150 years later, and that was 586 BC, something like that. Are my dates roughly no, correct? No, your date, you're right on. The dates are good. So that gives us an idea of, and then and then return from the exile was would have been um about 70 to 100 years um after that so do the math would be 490 bc or something like that so and then really the last yeah the dating then of the last book of the old testament would have been about what time ross because i think this is good for our listeners to hear that there was a there was a period of silence before we now have the New Testament, which we'll talk about next week. And so let's kind of put some dating on that as well. Yeah, the last book is Malachi. And it, so it was. it is dated from somewhere um, just before 400, so maybe 420 BC in that ballpark. And then there were 400 years of silence. Again, that doesn't mean that that God stopped caring about his people, but there's nothing in our Bibles canonically from that 400-year silent period until the opening of the New Testament, and we'll get into that here in a second. But there's a couple. So I'm looking at my 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 table of contents, Ross. There's a couple. So we've talked about Genesis through Deuteronomy, those first five books, and that was those were you know telling the story of Adam and Eve and uh, and Noah and and Abraham and Moses, and then we've got Joshua. And judges, we talked about Ruth, we talked about Samuel, the last judge, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings. But again, as people are looking at their Old Testaments, they're like, okay, wait, what is what about first and second chronicles? What is what is that chronicling? Right. So first and second chronicles covers the same time frame as first and second Kings, or but it covers it in a different way. So um, if you're reading along, you go, Oh, this sounds familiar. This sounds but that's because uh, the Chronicles are written, it's the history of, of Judah written from the perspective of people who are returning from exile. So it's from the period of Ezra. They're coming back to the land, and, and they have then the, the benefit of hindsight. They're looking back and saying, how did we get here? You know, how, what happened? And so they're looking back and, and, and looking at it through the lens of the exile and all the things that God had done and uh, their return. So that it's a different perspective on the same events that are covered in the, the books of Kings. Yeah, that's helpful to understand. And so then really only other books that we haven't really touched on yet are a couple of those poetic books, right? So we talked about Job and that that fits in really more in the early chapters of Genesis. Psalms and Proverbs were mostly attributed to David and Solomon. 
What about Ecclesiastes? And then the last poetic book, Song of Songs, which, which comes with a warning for young readers, probably. Yeah. So those books are attributed to um, Solomon. So Ecclesiastes, it shows Solomon was known for his, his wisdom. You know, he didn't always live it out. He ended up you know, going south at the end of his life because he married a lot of foreign women and um, introduced the, the prospect of idolatry into the land. So anyway, but Ecclesiastes is Solomon's perspective that, you know what, if you live a secular life without reference to God, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It's going nowhere. It's all vanity. It's, it's all a waste, basically, is what he's saying in Ecclesiastes. And then Song of Songs is a, is a, a celebration of um, marital love. It's a, it's a picture of a, a romantic relationship um, that, that is in the Bible for um, a number of reasons. And so those are things that uh, apparently have their origin in Solomon. So, Ross, I think it might make sense to finish up our our survey of the Old Testament by reading the last words of the Old Testament. I think this is actually really fascinating, and it this might sort of punctuate uh, what we've been talking about today with the survey of the Old Testament, and it might kind of bring us into next week's topic when we do when we connect the dots and do a survey of the New Testament. Here's here, you know, it's Malachi chapter four, the final prophet. Um, these are the very last words that we have in the text of our Old Testament. And it, let me read it starting in verse four. It says, remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. So look, he's kind of calling them back all the way back to the, the days of Moses. It's, that's interesting. And then, he, and then he says this, verse five, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. So those are some concepts that are going to be picked up in the New Testament. And it says in verse six, his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise I will come and strike the land with a curse. Who the heck is Elijah? What is he talking about? And how is this like a perfect lead in to what we're going to be talking about next week? So Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. He's, his, he's talked about in the books of Kings. Now, he didn't write anything, so he doesn't have a book in the Bible that's, that has his name on it. But he was a key prophet uh, that represented the presence of God. And we've been talking in th- uh, the whole episode today about how God had a plan and a purpose represented by Abraham. And, and so Elijah is an example of God working along the way. And, and, and it didn't just leave the people to their sin or even into their punishment. So Elijah is the presence of God along the way. And this is the role of the prophets was to call people back. That's why he goes all the way back to Mount Sinai in the original covenant, because the, the prophets were calling people back to be faithful to that, calling people of Israel back to their identity, back to their God, and, um, and warning them what would happen if they didn't, and, but also giving hope for the future. And so this is a great way to end because Elijah is seen as this forerunner of the redemptive work that God is going to do in fulfillment of that third promise to Abraham. And, and so throughout, the, throughout this time, throughout this period, that's not just the last verse of the Bible that, that gets us there, but there are hints and glimpses throughout aspects of the Old Testament, throughout the story that are pointing forward. They're saying, here's the problem, but God has a solution. God is going to rescue his people. Oh, there's going to be someone who comes. 
Now, so King David, as I said earlier, becomes a paradigm for that. That's because in 2 Samuel, one of the prophets came to King David and said, you know what? Um, your kingdom's never going to end, and there's going to be a greater king later on. And so, boom, there, there's a, this, this hint of expectation. And, and Isaiah, the prophet, says they're talking about the future, what God's going to do and how he's going to bring hope um, to this miserable failure of a nation. And, and so Isaiah is talking about this character that's going to come. He's called the servant of the Lord, and he's going to come. And so Elijah will be the forerunner of that. And that's what segues us into the New Testament, where we see this future king, this future servant, this savior who became known as the Messiah. It's all hinted throughout the story of the Old Testament, but it comes to fruition then in the new. And the new connects all the dots and makes it all make sense. Yeah. And the the Elijah of the New Testament, we're going to see, and we'll talk about this next week, is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is now pointing to the the Messiah. He's pointing to Jesus, but to connect it all back into Genesis 12. So here we are at the end of the Old Testament, and we're, we're really ending on like a, on a kind of a sour note. We're ending mm-hmm. on this Wait a second. What about this promise all the way back in Genesis 12? Remember that was that was about 2000 BC, right? This promise to Abraham. And here we are at about 400 BC, so 1500, 1600 years of ups and downs and failures and and not being able to keep the covenant and it's like the remember the what the promise was? It was God said to Abraham, he says, "I'm going to make you into a great nation." Well, that kind of seemed to come and go because it seems like Israel at this point is hanging on by a thread, right? I mean, it had its glory days in the days of David and and Solomon, but now it's like they don't even have their own land. They're exiled, right? They're they're bouncing around from from Assyria to to Babylon to Persia to Greece to once we open the New Testament, it's going to be Rome, and it's like they don't even have their own identity anymore. I mean, they here they came into the promised land, which was right part of the promise is you're going to be a great people and you're going to have your own land. Well, they don't. It's almost like they'd lost their identity, they'd lost their land, and then this third promise, which was a little bit probably the the Jewish people in the Old Testament didn't even really know what to make of that one. Re- remember what it was, is that all nations will be blessed through you. They didn't really even, I, I would say that if I'm a Jewish person living in Malachi's day, I wouldn't even know what you're talking about there. By the time we open up the New Testament, like I'm, I'm not even sure what that's about. But this is the beauty of the story of the Bible, is that all of these, all of these storylines, all of these promises are going to be now fulfilled in a person, in the person of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Like, how does all of this come together in the person of Jesus? And that's what we'll talk about in our next lesson. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.